Welcome to Queer Spirituality, the podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. This podcast is about an idea. It's the radical idea that queerness is a gift and that the divine celebrates it rather than merely accepts it. We'll explore the special role that queer people are meant to play in the coming spiritual awakening. Through the lives and stories of queer people, we'll explore the many ways of approaching the divine and how the sacred reveals itself in everyday actions. Most of all, this is a podcast about love. It's about the love of the universe. It's about love between people. And it's about the love a community can share with one another. Thank you for joining me. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Queer Spirituality, the podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill, and with me today, I have a very special guest. Dr. Rolf Nolasco is the Ruben P. Job Professor of Spiritual Formation and Pastoral Theology at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary and Director of the Ruben P. Job Institute for Spiritual Formation. He is an experienced professor trained in pastoral and counseling psychology, mindfulness, and contemplative spirituality and effective neuroscience. Dr. Nolasco is also a psychotherapist, published author, and has vast experience in cross-cultural communications from living and working across the world within varying social and cultural backgrounds. In addition to Hearts Ablaze, Parables for the Queer Soul, he is the author of God's Beloved Queer, the Contemplative Counselor, A Way of Being, and Compassionate Presence, A Radical Response to Human Suffering. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Julian. It's good to be here with you today. Thanks. So just to kind of get started, something that I ask all of my guests um, is, what does spirit, queer spirituality mean for you? Um, so when I um, saw that form, I thought, wow, that was actually quite an interesting um, way of framing the question to start the conversation. For me, queer spirituality, spirituality in general, I think, is very queer through and through. And, and, and by that, I mean queer spirituality disrupts our normative understanding of what spirituality is. Queer spirituality is about opening space, um, opening table for everyone. Um, regardless of where you're at in your journey, where spirituality is about um, really having the opportunity to reclaim what is already there. And for me, that has to do with being created in the image of God and trying to kind of live that out in my own queer ways. Awesome. That's a, that's really wonderful. Um, I love how affirming that view is. Can you tell me a little bit about your personal spiritual journey? Like, how did you arrive at this particular point? So I've been queer all my life, but only <laughs> had the opportunity to reflect on it when I started my other book, which is God's Beloved Queer. But I think in terms of what underlies my own queer subjectivity, um, it would be uh, my desire, thirst um, for a life of contemplation. Um, and, and, and that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I grew up as an evangelical person back in the Philippines. And so evangelicalism or evangelical spirituality is very scripture-based, very verbose, um, and not really having the opportunity to just sit and be still and silent before God. And so when I somehow got my second conversion, that really opened up a different way of describing, experiencing God. And, and that has been, I think, the fuel, the energy that allowed me to um, write those two books and, and really try to faithfully live out what it means to be a queer person, follower of Christ. Wow. Okay. So 
what I'm kind of curious about is I think that when most people hear the word evangelical, they think about very close-minded, very anti-queer, very restrictive sort of beliefs. And so how have you reconciled evangelicalism, being in an evangelical path to being queer? And I I know that the particular seminary you're at tends to be more progressive, but tell us a little bit about that, because I think the word evangelical for a lot of queer people, that's kind of, you know, like a, a warning, like danger Will Robinson, right? And it could, you know, it could be, it could be triggering, tr- triggering for a lot of people, and rightly so, because evangelical has, has been co-opted to, uh, or weaponized to harm uh, people in our community. You know, that question was actually the same question when I came down for my interview at Garrett Seminary. Um, and I think for me, evangelical or evangel- uh, the word evangel really is good news. And for me, the good news is really about Christ. And this is not the sanitized white Christ. This is the queer Christ who um, in his humility and divine diffusive love so willingly gave up everything, which means giving up power and authority where evangelicalism nowadays, mainstream ones, are holding on to. And so evangelicalism for me is really following the, the footsteps and the example of Christ who really has worked with, you know, the outcasts of society at that time, challenging uh, systems and structures of oppression, and really highlighting um, God's intention for the flourishing of all people. And for me, that is at the heart of the gospel, is to really partner with God and God's design to recreate a new, a new humanity that includes all. And I think wow. us queer folks, I and, and this is just my own personal belief, we do have the capacity, and I think God somehow is using our brokenness, our woundedness, our creativity, our humanity to bring about this new creation, this radical inclusion, this hospitality that is available for all. Wow, that's I really love the, what you said there. And in particular, it feels like you were really calling out the the separation between spirituality that's based on the te- actual teachings of Christ versus this sort of weird political religion, the religious movement that we have in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an important distinction. So with that in mind, um, what would... What would be your response to to queer people who have been traumatized by the more strict religion, who grew up in these households that subscribe to these more restrictive religious views and now, you know, have have had sort of bad experiences with spirituality and and really don't want anything to do with it now because of this terrible experience? My message to our queer siblings would be to perhaps listen rather deeply behind the noise, behind the trauma, behind this almost like diabolical theologies, and listen intently, incline our ears continuously every day so we can hear that we are God's beloved queer. I know, I know, I know it's hard sometimes or often to to even hear that because we have been bombarded by messages that really demeaned our humanity. But I know that that's always been there. And, and for me, contemplative spirituality allows me to hear that more consistently. So that's that's one piece. The second piece is um, it's okay to walk away from relationships, from church memberships, that continuously harm you. That it's okay to really seek out your healing and recovery from the harm and trauma they, that, that, that we all have been carrying in our bodies, in our relationships. That, that, that walking away to heal is actually a form of resistance. That it is actually God's intention for those of us who have been harmed by the very structure by the very space that's meant actually originally for our own flourishing, that that you're not walking away 
uh, and that, that you should feel bad about it, that this is actually you reclaiming your own divinity within. And so it's okay to, uh, if you need to walk away from those places of harm, you need to do that and that has to be done. And thirdly, I think, um, look out for your for, for, for other queer folks. Uh, even allies, but but we are there, and 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 we would love to accompany you in silence, in 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 tears, in 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 laughing. There are people around you whom you can just drop in and rest, and 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 receive the invitation that is there for you, because it, it's not. This is something that that has to be taken alone. The journey towards healing for queer folks has, um, it's not something that um, that should be done in isolation, but in community as well. And yeah. and, and, and seek therapy, uh, because that's, uh, that's a wonderful resource. And spiritual direction, if, if that would also be meaningful for you. Because God delights mm-hmm. in your healing. God wants that we, that we um, um, experience a sense of peace and self-acceptance and joy because as God's beloved queer, we are entitled to those things as well. Yeah, yeah. That's just really, I, I, I love everything you said there. And I, I have to admit, you know, being a being a pagan myself, I'm a little surprised when, when a, a Christian mentions their own inner divinity because I, I don't hear that very often <laughs> from people who identify with biblical, um, the biblical and, and Christian re- religions view or spiritual view. So I love that you brought that up. I also really appreciate that you mentioned community. I'm not trying to do this in isolation because queer community is something that's super important to me and to my work. So one of the questions that I, I think that kind of brings up for me and something that I've really been exploring a lot is sometimes the queer community, particularly for male identified people, um, can be very sort of white male and not very inclusive. And so how has your experience been in finding community as a queer person of color? Thank you for, thank you for saying that, Julian. That means a lot because even in my book, I talked about how even within the queer community, there's stratification or a caste system um, with the white gays and white gays on top and, the, and those of us black and brown people at the bottom of it, right? And so um, and, and so it means a lot um, for me to hear you name a reality that is also causing so much harm and trauma within our community. And I think I think as a collective, um, that needs we need to repent from that, that somehow we are replicating the very structure that has oppressed us. And, and I don't think that that is really what being queer is about. And so I really appreciate you naming the violence that's been rampant within our community. Um, how do I um, pursue or, or what types of communities um, have become oasis for me? I think first and foremost, it would be my family. I've been blessed to have a family who from very early on never questioned who I am and just loving on me. And 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 then I think that that level of acceptance and love has allowed me to really live into um, my queer identity. Um, but I've also had, um, and, and they're mostly people of color as well, because I know that there is a sense of safety there uh, because we know what's like to be a minoritized community. And so there is almost like um, an unspoken gesture of belongingness. But I've also been in spaces, and these are white men, white men friends of mine, who also have become such a, a place of support for me. And there's very few of them. And and I know I know that that, that these realities are not flattened, but I but as a collective, I know that there is the white problem, but individual relationships that I have with those white dudes really have become a source of, of support for me. Um and I'm also naturally um, an introvert, uh, Julian. So so I don't really have many, many friends. Sometimes I shy away from social gatherings, but because of my own introversion, I've learned to um just be okay and 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 just maybe cherish the gifts 
of silence and solitude, um, because that has been such a source of generativity for me. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I've spoken in different spaces where, um, and these spaces were predominantly white, um, uh, managed or the organizers were mostly white people. And, and I have been, and I have been welcomed well, um, and even challenged, uh, the need for us to really champion equality and justice. And, and I've been in those spaces as well. And I've been just so blessed to be a recipient of their hospitality. I think, I think as queer community, we're constantly queering our own ways of being in the world. And, and it's sad that that happens, but there is hope in that we know what's like to be on 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 this side of of, of of the equation. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that and and for being vulnerable to to also talk about that in your your experiences as well. Um, I it, funny that you mentioned being an introvert because people don't always peg me for one, but I, I happen to be very introverted as well. Um, I've had to learn. To come out of my shell, uh -huh. so um, so let's get into a little bit about your your book because first of all, you mentioned when you were talking about evangelicalism, um, you mentioned queer queer Christ, and so I'd mm -hmm. love if you talk a little bit more about queer mm -hmm. Christ because this this isn't like a brand new idea to me. I, I know um, I forget the author's name now, but I remember a number of years a, an influential book called. Um, it was uh, Jesus in the shamanic tradition of same-sex love, mm -hmm. which kind of mm -hmm. also talked about an idea of a queer Christ. So mm -hmm. what's your version of queer Christ? I think my version of it would be the very exact um, opposite of the Christ that I was conditioned to believe back when I was growing up in the Philippines and then when I moved to the U.S. to study. And queer Christ for me is... is um is the is the very is is the epitome of what liberation is liberation that is not sucking more power but giving power away um a queer christ who's liberative um, is someone who really cares for the downtrodden and for those who are marginalized by community and, and really speaking to their humanity as god's own and, and I had to do a lot of deconstruction in my own life because I grew up with, with the white Christ being um, preached upon everywhere, you know? So every Sunday <laughs> service I went to, Bible study. I mean, it was really white sanitized Christ. And, and you know, I, we never questioned um, that. We, you know, we were colonized uh, by Sp Spaniards for 20 years and then by, by, um, by the U.S., um, I think even up to now. Um, and so so we never questioned that until, you know, um, attention uh, has begun to kind of bubble up inside of me. And, and I couldn't reconcile my own understanding of, of who God might be and my own identity and what I was being given. And so and so the queer Christ was has always been and continues to be an abiding presence for me. Because without that, I don't think that I would have even the, the courage to say, I am God's beloved queer, and I am being called to participate in God's recreation of humanity. And so I just, I'm just so grateful that somehow I have been able to see and experience what that means for my life as a queer person of color. Yeah, yeah. And that's very radical, I can imagine, too, because I know my husband a while ago on when he was on Facebook, a friend of his from high school mentioned how something about some painting of Christ and his beautiful blue eyes. And Neil made the mistake of pointing out to her, um, Christ was from the Middle East. He's not mm -hmm. white. And of course, he immediately got himself blocked because it's a radical idea to people who have grown up being in power and having the privilege and seeing everyone else reflected you know, themselves reflected in everything. So they even take ideas like like Christ and make it white so that, again, it reflects their own position and their own privilege. So mm -hmm. I, I'm glad that you mentioned sort of that attachment and, and the colonization, colonization um, aspects of, of the white Christ, because it's, it, it's a real thing 
and seeing it like I just think it's great that you called it out and and really pointed it out because of course in colonization the church played a big part in sort mm. of getting those cultures to accept the colonizers and to submit right and to let yeah. them ransack the resources I mean it's it, it's it, it's very it's quite intertwined and I think the version of spirituality that I grew up in back in the Philippines and it's still everywhere is this understanding of spirituality as something private. I know spirituality is very personal. It has to be. But I think what they have been able to do successfully is to see spirituality as just you and God and that it's a private thing and that you come together on Sunday to express your private relationships to God. And, and that is really tantamount to um, the opportunity for the colonizers then to control the narrative. Right, because it's all about you and your God, and not really unpacking and bearing witness to how some of this theologies actually serve the powers that be. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's so really my, my my queer pride is constantly debunking, deconstructing, challenging the very structure of divinity that has been used to undertake sacred violence that is all around us. Yes, yes, yeah, very powerful and very, very radical and liberating view. Um, I want to get into your book, um, Hearts of Blaze Parables for the Queer Soul. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit of tell me a little bit about it. Oh, so, um, I love parables because they're just so queer to me, (laughs) and by that, (laughs) I mean there are layers and layers and layers of meaning and interpretations, and and that was really my approach to it. It's it's this is this is a vehicle for me to really be creative about it. But I think more than that, um, this is this is not news, but but they have been used the Bible, particularly those clubber texts, to really literally clubber us and really harm us. And so the scripture um, has been a source of pain and trauma for our community. Um, but I've also experienced it as a source of healing and restoration. So I thought, I'm going to use the same tool that they have used, but use, use it in a different way, which I hope would flourish our queer community. And that's how I've approached it. And and I and, and those parables are 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 indicative of just how um queer God is because there there is an invitation for multiple stories, for multiple interpretations that really are quite meaningful and has spiritual, psychological, and material consequences to those words, listening to it and reading it. I really had fun writing it, even though I wrote it um, a year ago um, in the middle of the pandemic. And and even there, Julian, oh, I, I'm just so grateful that I have been given the opportunity to write things like this, because I tell you, I would go back and reread my writing, and I was like, who wrote this? You know, yeah. and, and 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 that has been my experience with the rest of the books that I've written. It's it's almost like um, so, such a gift. And I'm just humbled that I have been given just the opportunity because there is definitely a synergy between my life experience, the experience of other people, the books that I read, and just just the grace of God permeating in in what I have done. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So writing a book during the pandemic, that must have been quite an experience. And I was and I was and I was teaching on top of it and uh um, so I wrote it in ten in ten weeks, and, and and I think the reason why I was able to do that was because my editor was really, um, you know, breathing uh, and looking over my shoulder and really encouraging me to produce a chapter every week. And there had been times when I really had nothing else to say, and so what I would do would be to watch Netflix or, you know, go shop. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all got through the pandemic. Right, 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 right. So I would just distract myself, and 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 then in, at the back of my mind, I would just you know say something like, "Lord, I, you better come through again this time because I had I had nowhere else to to, uh, to use to to do this." And then I would wake up one day with an idea on how I would approach it. That's how synergistic the process has been for me, and um, I'm just. 
I'm just eternally grateful. I mean, who would have thought that I would be in a place where I could talk about some of these things, if not <laughs> the grace of God? And, you know, I'm sure, and, and people would say, oh, but you also, you know, have this and 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 that, and 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 rightly so. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing it, but at the end of the day, and this is probably my own contemplative spirituality coming through, is, is uh, I, I was open and, and wanting to be open, to be led by, by Sophia, by the Spirit of God in this process. I wasn't resisting it. I was clamoring for it. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So can you give an example of one of the parables that you talk about in your book? I started with uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Actually, that was the the, the inspiration behind it. And and the parable of the parable of the Good Samaritan, I kind of reworked it. And and you know, as queer people, we have been the wounded man, you know, uh, the uh, um, woman or trans. Uh, we have been that person that has been robbed and left for dead, literally, materially, psychologically, spiritually, even within the church community within the religious structure, right? We have been, we have been that. But I wanted to um, to reclaim that we also have been the good Samaritan uh, for those who have been wounded. And, and we have been good Samaritan to one another. In fact, I have been a recipient of somebody else's Samaritan um, attitude and love because I, I I remember many situations and relationships where I just felt loved and accepted and and restored um, by folks around me, and I want to be I want to be that. Um, I, you know, God in Christ has been the Good Samaritan for many people, and so I kind of wanted to to uh, um, to make to make use of that parable as a way of reclaiming. Our, our divinity by participating in, in God's healing of the world. But I also recognize that, um, that the queer community has also been the Levites and the priests who walked away yeah. and, and really did nothing for those who are suffering. And so this is not just the parable, my interpretation of the parable is not just, oh, you know, we're, we're queer good Samaritans and we've been doing all this work and, and and I wanted that piece, but I also want to call on the community and say, you know, this may be difficult to accept, but we also have walked away and dismissed yeah. and did not pay attention to the sufferings, not just of the queer community, but other people as well, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I really wanted to, to redress it, um, but also to challenge our own community, that we could be good Samaritan for one another. Because yeah. of what we have experienced as being the wounded person mm-hmm. who, who was robbed of identity of humanity, and I wanted a different approach to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember growing up in the you know coming out. I, I started at college at the University of New Mexico in 1988 during sort of the height of the AIDS epidemic. And of course, we were very much good Samaritans to our own sick and dying during that time. And Toby Johnson, who is another author who writes extensively about queer spirituality, but more from a Buddhist perspective, you know, he says one of the the traits of queer people is extreme compassion and and Mm -hmm. our ability to really be compassionate. But I have to admit the recent, like currently the queer community sometimes feel, it feels like we've gotten a little disconnected from that. You know, mm-hmm. I see some of the things that happen in the queer community around, you know, racism and ageism mm-hmm. and the whole thing about body image and the ways that we tear each other down mm-hmm. instead of coming together. So I definitely see what you're saying about also being the the people who walked away as well, mm-hmm. because often we do that to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, really very sad that we do that. Like we should... Mm-hmm you know, be be more in community than we are. Um, I appreciate you saying that, Julian, because I think that my career identity, your career identity, our career identity is tied to class, to race and racism. It's tied to a lot of things, right? And so I, I want to be able to... Um, uh, ...lend the way Kimberly Shaw has 
has described it because that cannot be detached from everyday material realities. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, there are so many people who struggle with other things like body image and mm. the amount of eating disorders that exist in the queer community is just heartbreaking. And so I'm always interested in how can we come together as a community to really heal some of these things um, within one another. You know, mm -hmm. I, I see I see younger gay people who won't even talk to an older man because be the our, assumption that would be our age, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, but the assumption is automatically that you know it's it's some sort of sexual thing. Whereas, like I remember some of my best friends when I was in art school in the 80, in '88 being older gay men and they sort of looked out for a lot of us they were like oh don't do that and don't do this and you know just stay away from that person they're bad news and um and i think that we're missing a lot of that now i mean part of it is we lost a generation of queer men to mm -hmm. aids mm -hmm. and also just um there seems to be a lot more division and i'm wondering um how do you see the rise of like the use of internet apps and things like that and and the closure of a lot of gay bars and, and cafes and things as sort of like eroding our sense of community by mm -hmm. taking away our spaces? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and I think that that cannot be uh, divorced from um, the issue of patriarchy and, and heteronormativity, isn't it? Because the larger culture still is very averse to anything queer. And, and sometimes we've internalized that ourselves. And, and even the stratification within our community, you know, uh, problems with body image and ageism, I mean, that, that just reflects how stratified community is. And sometimes, you know, people get into those groups because that's where power lies, right? It's, it's us against them, it's the younger gays versus the older gays, it's the white gays versus the people of color gays. And so, so even though we're trying to champion liberation um, for everyone, sometimes we also are like fundamentalists in our views. We can be so stubborn about certain ways of being gay that is re-traumatizing everyone else. And so I think I think the community that needs to happen, and I think the pandemic made this even more clear for me at least, is we need to at least um, get out of the way ourselves and recreate the color rainbow where everyone actually is a part of the community as you are. These colors are not separated, right? They're all intertwined with one another. The rainbow itself is one big creative entity. But because of, I think, Western value of individualism, mm -hmm. it's hard sometimes to go past, this is what I need, this is what I want, as opposed to what does the community need for everyone in that community to flourish? And I think that is an ongoing challenge that we would have to take on. Yeah. I think there's an important spiritual lesson in that too, in that, you know, to get what you want, sometimes it's the shortcut is to give someone else what they need, mm -hmm. you know, and you mm -hmm. get what you need in, in return. And people don't always see that. It's always about their individual needs and not, you know, by helping this person get their need met and getting my need mm -hmm. met. Um, what do you think the solution is to like creating new queer spaces? You know, there's a lot more queer people choosing to be sober. And so the gay bars don't really fulfill that role as sort of community center anymore. And maybe they should have never have in the first place. Mm -hmm. But how do we start to reverse some of this mm -hmm. and create more of that sense of community? And, and, and I think it goes back to... Um, one's sense of transcendence or mystery or divinity. You know, the gay bars, the uh, some of this really unique spaces that that our community communities have gone to, they're there because they provided space. They're there because people can just be themselves in those spaces. And we needed that during that time. I mean, we still need it at this time, but I think we've somehow outgrown that. 
or somehow we need something far more meaningful and sustainable than just a one night stand or um or a good time um in a bar even though that's still part of our community but i think but I, but i think part of and i don't really like um the word solution but i think part of what might help uh, reclaim our queer humanity our queer community is to go and and um think about um questions around purpose and meaning in life i.e pay attention to the longings of your spirit and and whether you're 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 a Christian, uh, Buddhist, whatever it is that really gets you uh, in touch with your humanity, because that humanity is connected with everyone else, with the entire creation. I think that that would be an important step, so that our deepest longings are not met by superficial fulfillments. But our deepest longings are met by just our desire in community to pursue that that which will give us meaning and purpose in life. Yeah. So it goes yeah. back to our spirituality, isn't it? Again. It does. Yeah. I think it always comes back to spirituality. But something I'm curious that to to hear your perspective on is there are a lot of queer people who, for whatever reasons, have abandoned any type of spiritual exploration mm -hmm. who have decided that they're agnostic or atheist or they, or they don't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. So if you were talking to someone who wasn't spiritual in any way, what would, what would you tell them was the benefit of a rich spiritual life? What, it, what does it give to you that they might be missing out on? So, so this is my therapist hat. Um, talking about, <laughs> I wouldn't probably um, um, say a whole lot about what benefits they might get for it. I would be curious around what it is in their life that's giving them joy yeah. and really get to know a little bit about their own story, even the stories where uh, they have chosen to leave to leave behind anything religious or spiritual, um, and, and 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 I think that is in response to your other question that will provide a sense of um, an opportunity for them to really think through things again by asking us asking each other questions around those. Right and, yeah. and 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 really be interested in the journey that we have been that we have gone on, because only in encountering each other in whatever stations we might have, spiritual or not, where where real communion and community can happen, and then and then maybe afterwards I can say this has been meaningful to me, and I can share a little bit um, about my own journey, but only after I've heard. And been curious yeah. about the journey of another person because I wanted to meet them as they are first, without my prejudgments, without even my own um, queer understandings. I just like, like I think, like like me, I I just wanted to be met as I am, and and held as I am, and be encountered as I am wherever I may be in my yeah. journey. It's such a great answer. I, I I can't, you know, in my own work, one of the things I emphasize is the importance of telling our queer stories. How do, how did we get here? What brought us joy? How what what led us to where we are? Because I think that that's so important. One of my teachers once said, you know, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And mm -hmm. I just think that's such a powerful perspective mm -hmm. to do that. And so I love I love what you said there. Um. Your other book, God's Beloved Queer, that's that's an interesting title, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so tell me a little bit about <laughs> what led you to, to write a book called God's Beloved Queer. And, and I think that came out of just this innate um, felt sense experience that I am enough in the sight of God, that I am delighted in 
delighted by and really seen as beloved um, of God. And I think I think that really was the origin of it. It's just, you know, I, I just finished teaching contemplative spirituality last night and, and Martin Lair talks about how when we go imperially, we become mindful of the noise in our head. And then if we continue to practice, our contemplation will get into just using a prayer word to anchor us. But even underneath that is this space of silence and solitude where God waits and watches. And, and, and I think for me, I was able, by the grace of God, to have access to this just deep understanding that, Rolf, you're good as you are. And I carried that with me. And, and so when I wrote that book, it wasn't in defense of being queer. It's like, I have nothing to apologize for. I don't have to defend my own existence because God says I'm enough and I am God's beloved. And, and, and I know that, that that is not a universal experience. Um, I recognize that. Um, my my invitation is for us to go deeper beyond the noise, beyond our self-talk, and hopefully encounter um, someone, God, divine, mystery, God in Christ, who just delights and watches and blesses and cheers us on and is giddy and excited and just loving on us. And, and I think it is through that that we can then love other people. Yeah. That's a really powerful answer because part of what I heard there was, you know, a lot of people talk about churches that are accepting, you know, open, accepting. But it's more than acceptance that you're talking about. It's affirmation. Mm-hmm. It's you're you're fine. You're perfect as you are. It's not just I'm. I accept you, even though you're queer, it's, I affirm you and love you because you, mm-hmm. you know, because you are queer, which I think is a very much more empowering and liberating view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Acceptance, I think, is, 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 a, is a smoking mirror for, for tolerance. It's not, it's not really <laughs> acceptance because accepting, full acceptance is you're queer, great. And it sounds like you actually can lead Bible studies. Can you then do uh, can can you do some teaching for us? Or it sounds like you have a gift in oratory. Maybe you can, you know, um, preach or share a little bit about your story in front of our congregation. It's really accepting our full humanity, our gifts, our graces, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, just taking us all in as we are and really celebrating our queerness in manifold ways. Yeah, yeah. That's a much more empowering and liberating view. I agree. Yeah, and I just, oh. and, 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 and all this, Julian, I must tell you, all this um, came about because I'm surrounded by people who just, who love me as I am and challenge me and stretch me. And, and even this conversation is really even stretching my own sense of what it means to follow Christ. Yeah. You know, so Wonderful. I'm just grateful, grateful, grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and gratitude is such an, a, a powerful thing to experience and to foster as well in our lives. And, and if there is one thing that I would like to kind of pursue more on later on, and, and you'll probably be surprised by this, but I've been celibate for however many years. And so this is almost like, what does it mean to be a person of color who's gay and been single all his life? <laughs> right, because 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 our understanding, at least the world's understanding of, of of being queer, is you know we're highly sexualized, right? Yes, uh, either by the larger culture or within our community. So, what does it mean to be queer and celibate and single? Yeah, you know, yeah, so, I mean, yeah there, it's a powerful thing. I, I follow a. Um, an Instagram person um, who's asexual and he goes by ace dad and he gives advice mm-hmm. to younger people who are also asexual. And that's a real struggle um, for them in the queer, greater queer community, because of course, everyone mm-hmm. wants to sexualize everything mm-hmm. and they want to, you know, mm-hmm. they don't understand, Hey, you, 
you find me attractive, but you don't want to have sex with me. What's, mm-hmm. what's wrong? Like, mm-hmm. you know, automatically it's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting thing mm-hmm. to explore. And, and and I think, you know, I, I, I could, I could say this uh, quite boldly here is, is I'm a sexual being. And so I do have those energies and, and, and needs, but for some weird reason, and I've been reading stuff on this because it has been my reality that this erotic energy that I have been carrying, feeling, experiencing, somehow has been used and transformed into something else, like writing and and, and, and teaching and, and just living into God's call upon my life. And so even though I'm I'm single, I'm also a very happy, joyful person. Yeah, I, you know, and and so 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 there's something, there's something, yes, there's something about that that I really would like to kind of reflect on in the near future. Yeah, well, I'll look forward to to your book on that because <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a topic because a lot of people don't know how to be single. They feel mm-hmm. like they need to always be with someone, and they're afraid to be alone with their own thoughts, and so mm-hmm. they basically hop from relationship to relationship. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And there's something really powerful about being comfortable being single and channeling that energy into other other venues as as you have with all of the work that you're doing. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting topic for sure. They're calling it sublimation, but I want to call it something else, because I think I think there is something about this that is actually worth investigating because it's a lived reality that many of us probably are afraid to talk about because then it brings conjures up a lot of other issues right but yes. there's something about this that i think even quite um that 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 those who are coupled uh, might benefit from that those yeah. of us you know in, in those of us who are single and loving it we can learn a whole lot from those who are coupled and, and partners, <laughs> right? But but we don't yes. we don't spend we we don't have a space, you know, for people to talk about some of these things very honestly and vulnerably. Yes, that's very true. We don't, and and people get squeamish when they start to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely, yeah. So as we as we sort of wrap up our our time here, what? What other comments, if any, do you have that we didn't get to? And what would you want listeners to sort of take away from our conversation? You may not think of this as real to you. This may not feel right. You may not have resonance to the statement that I'm about to make. But regardless of how you feel about who you are, God is still very delighted to have you um, as part of God's wonderful creation. That God's love doesn't diminish, even though sometimes we have all the reason to rail against God even though sometimes we have all the reason to walk away from anything that has to do with the sacred. God loves you dearly and queerly. And that there are people like Julian and myself and people in your life who will also love on you as you are. Because that, at the end of the day, what we are about is to just loving on each other unconditionally as we are. And I think God is giving us tons of opportunities to do it. We would fall. We would even hurt one another, harm one another. And then we will wake up, have another day to give it another shot. Because that's just part of who we are. But let's claim it, celebrate it, and um, just love on each other. Because the offer is always there for us. It may take a while for you to experience it, to reclaim it, but that's okay. 
God watches and God waits for you, for me, for everyone else. That's my message. That's a beautiful, yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful message. It's a very mm-hmm. beautiful and very positive, affirming message. So if people want to follow what you're doing, keep up with, you know, what you're writing about, get in touch, how do, how do they follow you, get in touch with you, all of that? Julian, you need to teach me how to do this because this is my, my third podcast interview and that's always the last piece. And maybe this is a wake up call. I'm not active on social media, I'm, even though I'm, you know, on Facebook. I rely so much on my affiliation, uh, Garrett. So if you want to, you know, uh, get in touch with me, Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, or just type in Rolf Velasco, I'm on Facebook, that's it. Um, Yeah, I I watch TikTok or see people on Instagram, but I somehow have not really been able to take advantage of the resources that is available out there. (laughs) But uh, Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, uh, Ross Malasco, you type in, I'm on Google, I'm sure, and I'd be happy to connect with you. And thank you for this wonderful opportunity, Julian, to just sit with you and experience your hospitality and just blessings on your word. Blessings yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for taking the time to be on today and to talk about your work and, and share your message. It's, it's, it's actually my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. find my blog and past episodes of this podcast at www.queerspirituality.net. That's www.queerspirituality.net. Let me know what you think on Instagram at queer underscore spirituality, or continue the discussion with like-minded people in the Queer Spirituality Facebook group. You can find it linked from the Queer Spirituality Facebook page or on the homepage of the Queer Spirituality website. Bright blessings.